1: Hey folks, welcome to Enterprise Biz Bytes. I'm Roshan and flying solo in the studio this afternoon. It's Monday, July 17th, and today we're going to be talking about EPF and personal finance. Last week, we learned that the Employees Provident Fund, or EPF as it is more commonly known, is looking to introduce Account 3, which allows savings withdrawals to be made at any time. EPF's Chief Strategy Officer, Noor Hisham said that this was expected to be implemented for new contributors within two years, and that the proposal Account 3 will function like a savings account where members can withdraw their savings at any time. So this could really help meet the potential emergency cash needs of members, among other things. So the way that this could work is that a percentage of contributions which Is yet to be determined, could be between 5 and 10 percent reportedly, would then go into account three. Uh, Members will also have the option of transferring funds from account three to account one and two if they deem fit. Um, One thing to note is that with the flexible account three, the contribution percentage uh, of account one could be increased. But again, this is still very early stages. We'll learn more about that later on. Uh, Another thing that was noted was that the dividend for account three is expected to be lower since the account functions like a savings account. This makes sense considering that the asset allocation for this would need to be different for, to account for the liquidity needs of that particular account. Now, we want to know from you, do you think that account 3 is a good idea? Let us know over on WhatsApp on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Now, one key thing to note here is that the proposed account 3 also aims to attract the interest of those in the informal sector to make contributions to to the EPF. Noor Hisham noted that based on feedback, EPF has received, from the informal sector, workers while they do want to save more in the EPF they also need the cash flow or at least access to that cash flow. So the hope here is that this approach will allow them to save and enjoy compound dividends while also meeting any immediate cash needs. This is a particular concern especially because he noted this one data point that 50% of Malaysian households can't even raise a 1000 to cover emergencies. So a country intends to address this. Uh, So with that in mind on the back of this news around a on three. Today on BizBytes, we're going to explore tips and fundamental advice on how self-employed individuals and the informal sector can help can improve their personal finances and financial planning. Helping me with this conversation is Soraya Zanuddin, founder and writer of RingitOrRingit.com, as well as Stephen Young, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. Um, Stephen, Steven, Soraya. It's been a while. Uh, I'm getting a bit of Renge and Sense nostalgic vibes here, but this is a different show. How are you both doing today?
2: Doing good, Roshan. Thank you so much for having
1: us. Alright, Stephen, how are you? Always
0: awesome to, to, be, always awesome to be here. Uh, great to see Suraya, Roshan here. Uh, yes, yeah, thanks for having me back, and looking forward to our discussion today.
1: Yeah. So, now, before we get into this wider question around financial planning tips and the basics that uh, self-employed people or folks in the informal sector should know, um, I, I want to get your sense of what are your thoughts on this EPF account tree. Uh, Suraya, could we give you? Uh, could start with you.
2: Sure thing, Roshan. Like I was so excited about this news about EPF account tree up until the point in the article where it says the dividend is potentially lower. <laughs> up until that point, I thought, you know, oh, it's great. Um, if as you know, as many of us know, EPF historical dividends or profits is around the four percent, five percent rate, which is great, right? But um. If it is a bit lower, um, then it it's it's comparable with the others, with the fixed deposit, with the cash management accounts, with the high interest savings accounts. So, I don't see how this is more special mm. if, compared, if it's used as an emergency savings account, if compared to the rest. However, I do think that even if the profit rate isn't as high, I think it's still a good option if if still somehow they allow benefits like you know tax relief, right? Mm. If you put money in if you have a country, you get tax relief, that's amazing. Or if you put money in there and you can subscribe to the iLindo, to the I to the insurance there via I it's still worth um, putting money there for, you know, those kind of added benefits.
1: Okay, yeah, that, that, that's uh, some pretty good points there. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I think one of the things here is it's also automated, right? So they'll redistribute their contributions. So maybe people who aren't so familiar with money market funds and stuff, at least it's a starting point. But you're right, if, if there are any comparable products out there, which is earning 4% at this at current levels. Uh, but Stephen, your thoughts?
0: Definitely think the intentions behind that are really good to encourage basically more people, especially self-employed, to contribute to ETF. I think it's also a great structure, better for withdrawals and you know, kinda of reducing the need of special withdrawals that we've been seeing, especially over the last couple of years as well. So and that flexibility is, is really great for self-employed. The cons as mentioned, definitely the lower dividend rate. You know. So with that, people may actually move the funds into account one or two or they may just just regularly opt to withdraw those funds and that kind of becomes self-defeating in its purpose as well. the People just put it in and move it off and withdraw it out and then when they suddenly need the funds and then when there's cash flow crunch and then you don't have have those funds so you're kind of back at square one itself. Yeah. So of course all this affects the ability of funds. It increases the complexity as well in managing those EPF funds, you know, for for someone who's contributing in and having to think about all these additional factors as
1: well. Okay, yeah, so some good points there, uh, Stephen. Um, Soraya, I want to take this conversation forward and given your experience on both sides of the aisle here, right? So you're a self-employed person, you're also a personal finance creator, so you have a bit of a sense in both worlds here. Um, What do you think are the key challenges faced by this sector when it comes to personal finance?
2: Sure thing. Um, when it comes to personal finance for as a self-employed person, number one is probably fluctuating income. Right, it is very normal for someone who is freelancing, who is self-employed, to have some months that are profitable, some months that are not so perfect, profitable. Um, and I would imagine, you know, people in other career lines um, that also self-employed, agents, for example, it's very normal to have some months where you make even zero income, and then some months maybe you make five figures. Right, so definitely this is a key challenge. Um, and you kind of have to instead of saving the usual three months of worth of savings you might want to consider six months instead because it can be a bit more um, unsure of when it's the next you know income coming in. Another key challenge that I see is the responsibility erosion. There's just so much responsibility. You have to manage <laughs> your business and tax accounting yourself. You have to do your protection yourself. You have to do your retirement yourself. So if an employed person, you have much simplified tax accounting. Your, you know, you might have protection from your company insurance. You might have SOXO. You might have uh, mandatory deductions and employer contributions for your retirement. But for people like me who are self-employed, if I don't do it, then no one else will. So it's really doing all of those admin tasks and knowing myself that I hold the ultimate responsibility for my own financial future.
1: Yeah, I um, you know listening to you, Soraya, it reminds me that actually, Stephen, you have some uh, some relatability here as well, because as a financial planner, you are also um, basically earning uh, revenue uh, on a month to month basis, you're building business there as well. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to what Soraya said?
0: Sure, definitely. As uh, financial planners are self-employed as well, we're also um, business owners as well. And just building on that, just recognizing that you know a lot of these things that are available can also be advantages for those who are self-employed as well. For example, maximizing that EPF voluntary contribution of four thousand ringgit here, that should definitely be be done. And also putting in at least two uh, okay k a year actually and opening up the EPF i account for that fifteen percent matching, that also helps to basically build up your EPF funding as well. And the thing really as as a business owner, as someone who's self-employed, if you really are serious about, you know, financial imbalance building wealth, you actually need to be saving, investing about 40% of your income. And now yeah. if, if one is employed, then 20% of that is taken care of by EPF mandatory contributions. But if you're on your own, that's a whopping 40% <laughs> that you need to be thinking about how do you actually save and invest that. So, so you mentioned SOXO as well. And there's nothing that a lot of people miss out as well that actually, you know, as a business owner, self-employed SOXO is also one thing. You can actually take up voluntary on your own and it does provide pretty decent benefits as well.
1: Folks, last week we learned that EPF could potentially add more flexi- a more flexible account three facility in the next two years to help address cash flow concerns for the informal sector, among other things. Today on Business Bites, we're exploring tips and fundamental advice on how self employed individuals and the informal sector can improve their personal finances and financial planning. Helping me with this conversation has been Soraya Zainudin, founder and writer at RinggitOnRinggit.com, as well as Stephen Young, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. I'm Roshan Connison. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Bright, formidable media. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hey, folks, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesin, and this afternoon I've been speaking with Soraya Zainuddin, founder and writer of RingaRinga.com as well as Stephen Young, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. If you just joined us, last week we learned that EPF could potentially add a more flexible account tree facility in the next two years to help address cash flow concerns for the informal sector, among other reasons. Today on BizBytes, both Stephen and Soraya are helping me explore tips and fundamental advice on how self employed individuals and the the informal sector can improve their personal finances and financial planning. Both of you basically give us a bit of sense of the challenges that uh, self-employed business, self-employed folks, and, the, and business owners go through. Right, there's less structure in place. There's less automatic things that are being done. That uh, things that the, that employed folks take for granted. Now, Soraya, what are the three most important things that you've personally done that have helped you with your personal finances and financial planning?
2: The first thing that I personally do that really do help my personal finance is expense tracking and income tracking. I guess uh, Stephen can also add on here, but this is the basics of any financial planning, right? You have to know money in versus money out. And um, and the best case scenario is money in must always be more than money. Out. <laughs> <laughs> rule number one. <And>, uh, <laughs> rule number one. Uh number there, three. there's a saying, right, that cash is king, but that's not
0: true. Cash flow is king. Actually. It's really all about income and expense. <laughs>
2: uh yes, definitely. Uh number two, that's really helped me is the fact that you kind of I think for for many people who first start out in their personal finance, there's a lot of a Being very overwhelmed is very, very normal. And B feeling very skeptical of the financial industry is also very normal, right? So how I have kind of combated that, I went on the extreme route and I took the whole like certification in financial planning for myself, paid 10000 studied for a whole year, completed all four modules and I learned the basics of financial planning. I mean, I learned the whole thing about, about financial planning from A to Z. But for someone who do not want to go through this route, you can... Get help from a financial planner, and the industry, the financial planning industry, is very much different from you know the 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 other sort of industry where they they try and um try and get you to subscribe to protection or investment products, which are also important. But you need a holistic person to look at all your aspects of personal finance, not just your you know investments or just your insurance, but also your estate planning also your yeah, cash flow everything else just as a whole you kind of need that person to help you look at where are your gaps right now and when I do go through this own process for myself I found out that as much as I thought I already knew, there's like 100, you know, 100 more other things I didn't know. So, yes, definitely get the services of a financial planner. Um, and number three, and I'm so sorry to to give a very cliche answer, but, uh, you know, read books. <laughs> 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 I mean, no, it's just people want fast, quick answer. Like, Suraya, what what investment should I do? right, Stephen, you must have gotten this a lot. I'm sh- very sure of it. What investment should I do? Which insurance should I get? Um, you know, what uh, what should I do to save money? And the answer is always, I'm sorry to be like so annoying, but it's always, it depends, right? And the only way for you to, um, to get like a whole picture is to read, personal finance books and not just personal finance book but also books about psychology read books about you know personal growth about relationships read fiction books if you have to just read books in general it will help you
1: yeah as a former financial planner uh, i can't help I, I just empathize so much with that the it depends it really it really yeah. really does depend uh, sorry what are some of uh, do you have any book recommendations
2: Obviously, I would like to recommend my own book, which is Burgaji and Pokkai. You can find it at all major bookstores nationwide. Um, and I'm happy to report that it's been in the top 10 best best-selling list in the Malay non-fiction category for the last six, seven months. So pick it up.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Stephen, any book recommendations?
0: One I will definitely recommend is The Psychology of Money.
1: Yeah, great also. book
0: a great book, and it talks about you know, how one of my favorite quotes from there is that how one's experiences of money, I'm paraphrasing here, are only zero point zero 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 one percent of what the world actually experiences. But to us, they're so real, it forms about 80% of our experiences. And it's just so true us nodding away. It really does depend on where you are, what situation that you're in. And then only we can really look into where do where are you right now and where do you want to be headed to financially
1: yeah uh, last week i made a reappearance on ringing and sense but this time as a guest uh and uh, Shauning was wanted to get into you know the millennial mindset but I mean this was based on a blunger one uh cool released by EPF but a part of that was uh i brought up psychology of money because it's such a great book in terms of psychology right um i mean as it is in the in the title but how you talk to your partner or someone else about money really depends because uh they can, it, what kind of baggage they have when it comes to money you know debt issues can create issues around. Uh, can create uh, trauma around debt, and so on and so forth with other things. Uh, That's a whole different pipeline that we can get into another time, I guess. Or I'll just leave it to ring it and send to sort that out. Um, Stephen, employed individuals have a lot more structure when it comes to their finances. You know, we we mentioned it earlier, things like EPF contributions, monthly tax deductions, uh, even things like SOCSO and EIS. So as a licensed financial planner, what are the personal finance fundamentals that you think all self-employed individuals and folks working in the informal sector should do today?
0: sure and maybe we can share a few stories here so one thing is about having backup funds and that runway and a lot of times we kind of uh, not see how long that runway actually needs to be i i know when i left employment and um, became self employed i actually set aside 12 months of backup funds and i kind of realized that hey i wish i had 18 months or 24 <laughs> months of runway actually when making that switch so that's something that's highly to be considered about you know the runway that you have Secondly, would be that if you're in debt, even for good reasons, maybe you invested in yourself, you pursued you know further education courses, etc. You you're debt in uh, because of that, or if it's even worse, bad debt, things like credit cards, personal loans, etc. Those are things that you really, really need to tackle because otherwise, there's no point really in investing and say you're generating returns eight to ten percent, but at the same time you're paying that repayments 15, 18 percent or higher. That's gonna totally drag you down. Actually, other than that, third is again back to where we started off so kind of coming from circle there is that it's really about cash flow it's about income more than expenses increasing your income reducing your expenses but at the same time finding that balance because you don't want to be suffering you don't want to be you know eating cup noodles or roti every day so finding what's that right balance for you and for that usually I will say it's about finding where is the level that you can cover all your needs but some of your bonds Because if you have your choice, you get a buffet, there's totally everything there. If you try to try everything, you're probably not going to enjoy it. So you need to figure out what are the ones, what are the key things, what's actually important to you and your loved one.
1: Alright guys, so uh, before we go into another break, uh, personal finance and financial planning um, covers a lot of ground, uh, to say the least. Uh, There are a lot of uh, subcategories here, but the foundation, as you mentioned earlier, sorry, as uh, Stephen, I think you mentioned earlier, right? Uh, Cash flow management. Cash flow is king. Um, What are your thoughts on the essentials of cash flow management? Uh, Stephen, can we go with you first?
0: Right, as we actually look into cash flow management, you need to have an idea I would actually suggest building it up and again, different people have different ways, but I would actually suggest looking at where you are right now in terms of your expenses and your spending. Because it's actually very hard for people to totally change their lifestyle, to start cutting down the expenses. You end up really feeling miserable at the end of the day. And you're know, skipping that cup of coffee is not going to make you a millionaire. So you might as well enjoy the cup of coffee, but know where your expenses are. But if you really need to see and if you have no idea where your spending is actually going, then it may be time to actually track your spending using a budgeting app, a spreadsheet, or even, even pen and paper to figure out if your spending is out of control. But if it is within control, then next you know we're saying, okay, what's the end goal? What do you want to head to towards retirement, towards financial independence? What is the amount of savings investments you need to do on a monthly or annual basis to get there? And will your current income level plus your EPF contributions or any other contributions that you're doing get you there? And if not, you then need to know, okay, this is where I am. This is where my income needs to be. And I think as human beings, we are just so very resilient. Once we actually know, hey, this is the goal, this is the income level that we need to be at, then we will find ways and means actually to get there. And that is actually the start of moving your income to where it should be, heading towards your goal at the end of the day.
1: So ultimately, it really just comes down to and I think if if nothing if you come if uh, uh, if anyone else here comes up with nothing else but this, it will be a big step forward. You have to know your income and your expenses, you have to find one way of doing it. If it's pen and paper, go forth and use the pen and paper. If it's a spreadsheet, if it's an app, use what works for you. But it's really important to get that data crunched or at least recorded. Because you can't really manage what you haven't measured yet, so it's a it's a it's a first step. Um, so right before I, I ask you for your input on this, um, you track expenses and income as well, right? Do you use a spreadsheet? Do you use a pen and paper? Do you use an app? Uh, what do you do?
2: I use a combination of, I'm a huge fan of expense tracking apps and I track my incomes in a spreadsheet. But I do have good news here, um, Roshan, for people who have tried to do expense tracking but sort of fall off the, the bandwagon, so to speak. Um, and you know what you can do is, Automate your savings or investments. So let's say you earn, for example, like three thousand ringgit and you earmark 10, 20% of that, let's say 20%. So that's six hundred ringgit, automatically get it deducted, get it, you know, forward it to your ASMB funds, forward it to your robo advisor or something like that. And then whatever remains in your account, you only live off that. And don't get into that, don't use your, your credit card as a as a you know extra money, so to speak. Um, this is another way of planning your finances. If, let's say, you have tried um, recording your expenses, but it somehow does not fit your 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 lifestyle or your personality, just you know, automate your savings first, and then live off the balance will also sort of work with the help of
1: a financial planner, of course. Yeah, uh, but I guess that becomes a bit more complicated when you're self-employed, right? And the income varies. Um, so maybe getting yeah, the app yeah, and the support correct. there. Uh, but again, I'm posing the same question over to you that I asked Stephen earlier. Um what are the essentials of cash flow management as someone who is self-employed, runs your own business? What are the essentials?
2: Right. For cash flow management, for the self-employed, it follows the same basic principles of money in and money out. The added tweet that I would have, that I would add on here is probably you, as a self-employed person, you probably need a little bit more extra in your savings, in your, in your bank account. An employed person can probably get away with maybe one... Two months worth of savings inside your bank account because you can, you know, you can reasonably expect next month for your salary to come in, right? But for a self-employed person, you know, I can't do one two months. That's a bit too dangerous for my lifestyle. I have to do at the minimum two three months. At some point, I might even go further than that and do maybe even like four months, right? Um, and, you know, it just sort of comes up. You do have big expenses that come up. You know, you do have, you know, you know, you could be paying taxes. You could be hit with a compound. I got hit with a, with a compound other day by, um, by SSM um, for my LLP. So you just sort of have to put a little bit more bigger buffer in your bank account. At least that's what I'm personally doing.
1: Today on Business Buys, we're exploring tips and fundamental advice on how self-employed individuals and the informal sector can improve their personal finances and financial planning. Helping me with this conversation has been Sarai Zainuddin, founder and writer at RingitOnRingit.com, as well as Stephen Young, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. I'm Roshan Karnison. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Blockbusters for me, BFM. 89.9 The Business Station. Hey, folks, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Rushin Kunisin, and this afternoon I've been speaking with Soraya Zandrinin, founder and writer of RingerRinger.com, as well as Stephen Young, licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. If you just joined us today on BizBytes, both Stephen and Soraya are helping me explore tips and fundamental advice on how self employed individuals and the informal sector can improve their personal finances and financial planning. So Soraya Stephen, following up on what we talked about earlier, so we were, we ended la- the last uh, segment on cash flow management um, and some tips on that. Uh, but one related note when we talk about cash flow management is taxes, especially for people who are self-employed, especially right. for people who are business owners, because unlike employed folks, there isn't a mandatory monthly deduction for uh, the informal sector. Um, Soraya, give us a bit of a sense of how you plan for something like this.
2: How I do my personal finance basically boils down to this. I have roughly two to three months worth of expenses inside my bank account. The rest I put inside various investments and savings account. And the number one rule that I have for myself is that when it comes to investment is that liquidity is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Access to that money is extremely important. So with most of my investment the ability for me to use it within you know like one week or so, right that's considered quite liquid is extremely important and i think that with epf account bringing it back to epf account the very fact that it allows um you know it it allows a flexible withdrawal uh, which i hope is unconditional as well will act as that you know uh, a, a place where people feel that uh, this is a safe place for me to put my emergency fund. And hopefully that the process is easy as well, as easy as, you know, like <laughs> just making an application online, maybe through their app, and it will quickly be transferred into their bank account for whatever emergency or whatever payment or whatever expenses that they have to pay for.
1: Yeah, so I'm guessing that liquidity there also helps you with tank's planning purposes, Raya?
2: Correct, yes. For tax planning purposes, oh God, um, um, with taxes, it, you know, it comes, you, you, I'm aware that, you know, as a, you usually pay once a year, but I think many, if if you are in the process of becoming a self-employed person, you might not know that um, you will get, a, I call it a love letter from LFGN, you will get, <laughs> get something called CP500. So in the CP500, they will actually LHDN will actually tell you um, how much you are, how much tex- taxes you are expected to pay for that year, and you have to make the payment in six installments. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and they will give you a schedule, so that helps somewhat with the schedule. So you make the payments according to the schedule, and if there is a surplus, you um, you can claim it back, or if if it's not enough, then obviously you have to top it up when you submit your income
1: tax the next year. Uh, Sorry, do you do anything where, you know, for every, let's say every dollar of income that comes in, you separate a little portion of that to account for the tax uh, portion of that?
2: Yeah, some people do that. I don't. I just have like a like a catch-all for uh-huh. everything, um, which is why my buffer is quite big. Again, okay, like some months I have, you know, I, I keep two to three months worth of expenses in my bank account. Um, and as long as I can maintain it around that amount, it works out. Although admittedly, some, maybe like once, twice a year, I find myself like still digging into my investment account just mm-hmm. to like pop it up a little bit. When the cash flow is a little bit, Dangerous when the income mm. is not as um it's a bit fluctuates like a bit more than usual. Let's just put it at
1: like that. Right, Stephen, as both a licensed financial planner and a business owner, any thoughts on tax planning?
2: Sure,
0: a couple of thoughts. One, building on what we were talking on earlier as well, I, I think it's a great practice to kind of estimate out what will be your tax bill for the year, and if you're finding at any point in time in the past you've been scrambling for funds to pay off your. Uh, tax livelihoods, then you should probably look at setting up a fund actually, just specifically for tax, putting that in on a very regular basis, just making it a habit to save and put that aside regularly. And potentially even the EPF account trade may actually be a place where you could actually put those funds in and then withdraw it when you are paying for that. So one other thing for self-employed in business owners as well is also really the mortality of income from month to month. So what may actually help as well is to just plan on a monthly basis that you have enough income to basically cover all your expenses. And then if you have additional income coming in, bonuses, things that are higher than the amount that you have, just kind of keep that all aside, actually put that together. And then you can use that to pay for taxes or you have additional funds after paying the taxes, you can treat yourself to something nice or your (laughs) loved ones and put the rest into investments as well as kind of building that up for the future.
1: Very nicely said, Stephen. Now, another key area when we talk about personal finances and financial planning uh, that we haven't touched yet, but I think you gave uh, some illusions earlier as protection, right? Um, this usually comes in the form of an emergency fund or a, a lot of the times it's also insurance products. Uh, Stephen, what do you think are the essentials here and how can folks working in uh, the informal sector, self-employed or business owners act upon this today?
0: So definitely you would want to have your backup funds that generally, thrown around as a rule of thumb of three to six months expenses. Self-employed, I would say you really want to be looking to have about 12 months of income. And the reason why 12 months of income and not expenses is that if anything hits, you still have the additional buffer and capacity to continue your investments, which you have already pre-planned, heading towards your eventual retirement and financial right. freedom goals as well.
1: This is obviously hoping that the expenses are less than income, Right.
0: Of course, definitely, yeah. we <laughs> income more than as well, just, yes.
1: Which again, is why it's so important to measure your financial status. Uh, anything else to add to protection, Stephen, or did I interrupt you a little there?
0: Sure. So on the protection side, first, number one thing for self-employed would actually be private medical coverage because that's one thing that basically the risk of that just increases as we get older as well. And unlike someone who's employed where you typically would have a group or medical employee benefits, there's something you need to actually figure out and plan for your own. And if that's not in place or you get an ailment, suddenly something happens and then you realise that you can't even get insurance or you get loaded or there's exclusions to your protection itself. So those are situations which you really want to avoid. So, of course, when you're just starting out, if you're really young, you can just get you know very low-cost, standalone medical coverage. And as you typically get older as well, you may want to consider getting an investment link where at least it defrays the cost of actually paying for the insurance so it's more accumulated up front into the investment link units so at least as you head into the older age there's less risk of the suddenly you're running out of money to, or your insurance uh, premium suddenly spikes up uh, really crazy. Uh, on top of that, the other key coverages will be basically as a self-employed, is that you need to be figuring out where the income is coming from. And if that source of income is actually you, and if you're not there, the business just can't run, then you need to be figuring out how to actually cover that. So things like total permanent uh, disability, things like critical illness coverage. So typically, you want to cover at least two to three years, maybe even five years of that. So if let's say the critical illness, let's say a heart attack, a stroke, cancer, something occurs, typically you will take about two to three years to fully recover and to re-enter the workforce again. So in the meantime, at least you can take that break without
1: having to worry about your finances. Uh, Soraya, any thoughts, anything you want to add to what Stephen was talking about there when it comes to protection?
2: Yes, I think Stephen, uh, you know, did a great job in covering some of the more in, uh, important one, which is, I believe, medical insurance and also, um you know, life insurance. He mentioned breadwinner there. there. Um, there's also critical illness. I believe he mentioned as well, and then um, there's, you know, there's a bunch of different insurance, and I guess. It's a huge topic and it deserves like its own airtime, I believe. But I just want to give a quick shout out here for um, for employed people. You have SOXO, but for self-employed people, you can actually enroll yourself in something called the Self-Employment Social Security Scheme under Perkiso. Um, and it, it's very uh, affordable. It's like a few hundred ringgit a year and it will give you um, some protection uh, with, all of everything that, that Stephen mentioned just now, without you know, you can enroll yourself in this and and get a little bit of um in the surety that if anything happens to you, you will get some amount of um help financial help when it when you are hurt or when you can't work. Um, in the meantime, after you enroll yourself in this precarious self employment social security scheme, uh, definitely either you know, meet a professional so you can get a tailor made. Um, protection, you know, product something that is tailored uh, just for you because again the answer for like what protection do I need is it depends, and <laughs> when you do meet this professional, um, there is um you might wanna go with them. How I do it is that okay I earmark ten percent of my more or less income every month, and what is the best value for money that I can get for this amount, right? Um, and then my savings will also act as emergency um, what I can use if anything happens to me. Um, I think that when it comes to protection, most people don't know about medical inflation. And once they realize, I, I for myself at least once I realized that medical inflation is double digits per year, I just quickly got myself an mm-hmm. investment in medical insurance. Um, like for the reasons that Stephen mentioned just now, it can um, you know, it can help you buffer against those um those kind of inflation. But you know, for for many people, if the process of getting yourself enrolled in protection products, please do Find out more about the Soxo self employment social security scheme because it's, I've looked into the product and it's okay, it's not bad.
1: Sorry, I have one more question with uh, for you before we wrap up this conversation. Um, you know, a few times in this conversation, you've talked about essentially looking for help. If you need help, mm-hmm. if the financial world is complicated, go and get a licensed financial planner uh, to help you mm-hmm. out. Now, not all financial planners are created equal. A lot of uh, yeah. firms operate differently. Um, so uh, what, what would you tell someone who's looking for a planner to help them uh, to look out for? Right. I mean, for
2: me, the ability to... To find someone who I can meet face to face would be um would be great, someone who is um give timely communication. I think that's number one. That's um you always want someone who is dependable. I think the keyword there is dependable, right? <laughs> um who can communicate in a way that you can understand um and can help you to explain places which you are most confused about, whether that is retirement planning or insurance or protection or whatever it is that you are most uh, most confused about. Uh, We have to recognize, I think, the fact that in the personal finance world, in the financial planning world, there's just so much jargon, And in order to, you really need, you know, people who can actually break down those terms in a way that is understandable to you. So if you are someone looking for a financial planner, try and Try and shop around for a few and get the one who you can understand the most because ultimately you want to be able to understand, you know, how they explain things to you. Um, Number two is that I have a huge preference for financial planners who are also content creators. Um, This also comes hand in hand with their ability to communicate Right? If they are content creators, then they have the ability, most of them have the ability to break down those jargon in a way that is much more easily understandable. So there are a, a, quite a few, actually, content creators, uh, quite a few financial planners who have also created content online. You can find them on social media. You can find them on, um, uh, you can find them on, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find them on websites uh, such as MyPF. Uh, sorry. Um, yes, my P F by by Stephen, and you know if you like their style of communication, it you can reasonably expect that you will also be able to understand when they explain um, your unique financial situation to you and what you exactly need for your own situation.
1: Right. Um, Thanks for this. I think that helps provide some context here. Um, Stephen, uh, as we wrap up this conversation, is there anything you'd like to highlight? I know we were supposed to talk a little bit about retirement planning, but we honestly, uh, that's a whole bag of worms that if we get into, we're going to be way over time. So we'll leave that conversation for another day. Um, But yeah, so anything you'd like to wrap up on?
0: Overall, just uh, circling back, I, I think looking at, if you have a country, I like how we're actually looking at various uh, options, having more uh, flexibility there. But with that, always know that it, even if you know uh, someone uh, you hear of online or your friends or someone you know, tells you, you know, evaluate that advice. You need to be considering for yourself because again, your situation, your personal finances, the word personal is there. So it really needs to be catered for yourself and where you're going and what really financial independence what being successful what matters really most to you in life
1: all right Uh, Stephen thank you so much Soraya, thank you so much for your time as well Uh, folks I was speaking with Soraya Zanuddin founder and writer of ringgit or ringgit.com as well as Stephen Young licensed financial planner with wealth vantage advisory if you missed any part of this conversation you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the bfm app in fact if you thought this was a valuable episode go to the website go to the app and share it around you can also find our shows on Spotify Apple Podcasts, and other major podcast players just search up Enterprise Biz Bytes look Ahead, we've got the breakfast gold replay after the 1 p.m. news bulletin. Malacca Securities has evolved from a family-run stockbroker to offer financial advisory services. Third-generation managing director Lim Chia Wei launched M Plus Global Digital Platform two months ago, as well as the company's expansion plans to trade in both the U.S. and Hong Kong markets. We'll find out how this business intends to stay relevant and profitable in what some say is an industry in structural decline with shrinking commissions and poor retail participation. Catch the conversation after the 1pm News Bulletin I'm Roshan Karnasun This has been Enterprise Biz Bytes Keep you here to BFM 89.9 The Business Station
0: You have been listening to a podcast From BFM 89.9 The Business Station For
1: more stories of the same kind Download the BFM app